This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Casual Criminalist. This episode today, German Love Stories, it's two episodes, two, two stories in one. Why? I don't know, probably because I give my writers too much freedom. <laughs> so I was like, wait, why are we doing two stories in one episode? But they were also really short, and then I'm also driven. Like, my entire life sometimes feels driven by the YouTube algorithm, where it's like, if you make an episode that's shorter than your normal episodes, we're going to punish you. So, uh, yeah, that that that's why. It's kind of just a business decision. Uh, and uh, I'd like to say, oh, yeah, it's a wonderful creative choice. Well, I guess it's Dennis's who wrote today's episode, Creative Choice. So there's that. And uh, let's just jump in, shall we? Quickly, what is the first thing that pops into your mind when thinking about Jabir? And uh, <laughs> the other thing. Without the doubt, the same horrible images were... Oh, Dennis is from Germany, by the way. Just uh, FYI. Without a doubt, the same horrible images will immediately condense in all of your heads. I have to say, genuinely the first thing that came to my mind. Because it's, it's, it's a long time. It's, it's a long time. Uh, is the, the, the double beers. Like, you know, where you have like one liter of beer in one mug. Um, I have, I bought one of those, or I was given it as a gift. One of those, you know, those giant, like, um, glasses which holds, like, two regular-sized beers. And it's not very good, because by the time you've, like, drunk three-quarters of it, the bottom is a little bit flat and warm, because it obviously takes some time to drink a litre of beer. So, uh, I, I used it once, and then I was like, you know what, they've cracked beer glass size half a liter a pint is perfect let's just leave it at that unless you're american in which case your pint is too small and i've mentioned this before whenever i'm in america and you order a beer it's always like why is this disappointingly small it's like 460 mils instead of like 520 because the metric the, the imperial system's stupid and the british pint is bigger and better and honestly, who can blame you? We're quite literally talking about the worst thing that's ever happened in the entirety of human history. People argue about that, but it's definitely up there. So I think a long-term stain on Germany's image is pretty damn justified. Well, there's, I, I don't know. It's... <laughs> it, uh, look, we're not going to get into this moral debate right now, are we? On the other hand, it would be narrow-minded to view an entire country exclusively in the context of a chapter that ended two or three generations ago. But beyond this subject, Germans also have a rich and diverse culture of horrors <laughs> on human comprehension i was like wait where are we going with this dennis are we just talking about is this and there's that like, oh no okay i see it's it's an elaborate setup for a joke very nice which all too often get completely overlooked so let me broaden your perspective a little let me guide you through some of the weirder and lesser known evils that my compatriots have committed over the years today you'll be presented with not one but two very different stories revolving around love and obsession littered with little nuances and grey tones in which concepts like perpetrator and victim barely hold up to the next plot twist and yet allow for an enthralling glimpse behind the veil of human nature. That is quite an introduction, Dennis. For your first one, bravo! At least take the roses I brought. 
It was a sinister place, full of dark alleyways, seedy characters, a parallel universe where anything and everything could be bought and sold, where you could indulge all of your vices as the rules of society cease to apply after sunset. Whenever I think of this, I always think, you know, I love sci-fi. And it's like where they go, you know, in every sci-fi show, there's like, they go to some alien planet and there's like a weird market bazaar and like everything's for sale. There's drugs and guns and sex. And you're like every, I, I, I'm sure there are places like this in the real world. But the first thing that comes to my mind is just like aliens selling illegal shit some faraway planets and that's because i led a very sheltered existence the sights and sounds assaulted his senses potsdam street was lined with dubious betting officers and bars and the air was thick with the smell of cheap alcohol and violence you know i don't think i've ever been in a gambling in one of those betting places you know like william hill I've been to casinos and shit, but it's like, you know, those places where it's like brightly lit and there are screens on the walls and people are like sitting there with big, like phone book style books. I have no idea what these guys are up to, but I've never been into one of those places and I hopefully never will. Peter had never been here before. His eyes glided insecurely over the women who worked the night, most of them scantily clad and beckoning to the men who passed by. Peter didn't end up in Berlin's most notorious red light district by accident. <laughs> it's like, whoopsie doodle, how did I end up here? Although I have been to Amsterdam and I was just walking around the city and I was like, oh, I see. This is the red, because it is literally, there's red lights and these like windows and there's women. It's, it's quite weird. Like there's an, got no problem with it i think it's probably better legalized to be honest but i'm like this is weird this is uncomfortable <laughs> for me personally i don't know i'm british and reserved however now that he was about to follow through with it he couldn't shrug off the feeling that this might have been a mistake while his stomach was begging him to leave another part of his body commanded him to continue he had been lurking around for at least an hour trying to work up the courage to approach one of these ladies but how would he even do that was it the custom to start with a little bit of chit chat should he just walk right up and ask one for sex whilst flashing a couple of euro bills probably gonna need more than a couple of euros mate oh like it could be like bigger euro bills you know there's a 500 euro bill which i think they stopped making because it was just used by criminals <laughs> or would that get him into trouble he didn't have a clue he was 50 years old married he had two children a bourgeois academic who dutifully paid his taxes separated his garbage and never had even the remotest contact with the underworld in many ways peter was the most boring person imaginable if people were poems he'd beat laura mimson oh this is savage he's just i don't know i feel like i don't live some like crazy interesting life it's like i'm married i have kids i like hanging out with them i like working it's like my life is not by like it's not particularly interesting but i don't know to be described as like a just a regular person's life is that feels a bit savage <laughs> if people were spices it'd be flower if people were music it'd be white noise or maybe even a song by coldplay no dennis i like coldplay even though sometimes their lyrics are insane. You cut me down a tree and brought it back to me. What the f are you talking about, Chris? Why what are you talking about? Cutting down trees and bringing them back to me. Although I love Coldplay. I enjoy the sh out of Coldplay. Uh, that Fix You song, it's been like, that's 20 years. I still listen to that song regularly and it is fire. When it's like, that you, you listen to like three minutes of that song just for the or however it goes, you know? Oh God, I love it. I'm gonna go listen to that after I've recorded this episode.
There was hardly anything recognizable about him or his life, and yet here he was, in gray corduroy pants and a knitted sweater, surrounded by shadowy men haggling over prices for pleasure. Sex work has generally been legal in Germany for almost a century! Wow, good for you, Germany. Legislation has undergone several reforms since then, further liberalizing the market while strengthening the protection of sex workers. However, it is an open secret that these protection mechanisms rarely worked as intended and were virtually impossible to enforce. Human trafficking, forced prostitution, abuse of minors, and other unspeakable crimes were rampant in many places nonetheless. Yeah, but I do think it's worse if it's not legal, right? Isn't that? That's generally... I don't know anything about this, but I, that's generally thought to be the case. Although now that I'm thinking about it, if it is legal, isn't that just going to make it more prevalent? Or is maybe you just have the same... Look, I'm going to stop talking because I don't know and I don't have the facts. But it would feel like if it's legal, then it's going to be... The face of it is going to be there and, you know, open and smiley. And then in the back, it's going to be like, yeah, 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 and then there's trafficking right? I don't know. I don't know. This was especially true for the street corner that Peter visited on that summer night in 2011. But due to a dangerous mix of ignorance and apathy, he did not spend a thought on that. This is when something unexpected happened. A group of fearless silhouettes disappeared from Peter's cone of vision, revealing a view of a young woman. She was a petite stature, graceful, and by her beauty seemed a little out of place, as did Peter for his own reasons. The headlight of some parking car gleamed through her long black hair, as if she possessed a halo. Peter interrupted his aimless walk. Time seemed to have stopped for him. When the girl turned and their eyes accidentally met for a second, the noises around him ceased to exist. Instinctively, he knew that this was a moment of monumental significance okay <laughs> peter it's like i looked I, I locked eyes with a woman and from that moment i knew we must be together sexually for a moment <laughs> peter could see a deep sadness in her eyes which resonated with him in a way almost magical his heartbeat quickened as this divine being walked towards him girl's name was Anna, and her obvious vulnerability sparked a raging fire in the uncharted trenches of Peter's twisted soul that could never be distinguished. Holy sh**, what is Peter going to do? I already get the feeling that Peter's a psycho. He sounds like, he just sounds like a psycho. Oh god. This sudden warmth. <laughs> Doesn't he? He's just got that sign. Like, anyone who has those feelings after looking someone in the eye for a second, it's like, what's up, bro? Something ain't right with you, is it? The sudden warmth, however, was something only he could feel to her. Peter was just another John among many. Routinely and without any passion in her voice, Anna explained that her price would be 20 to 50 euros, depending on his desires. Much later, Peter would testify in court that from the very first moment, he had fallen undyingly in love with the girl, not even half of his age, and an obsession had taken hold of him that brought about his imminent doom. He went for Anna's cheapest option, and so Anna followed Peter. To his nearby car. And don't panic, Simon. I can assure you with absolute certainty that your assumptions about the way things will continue are completely wrong. She'll be fine. Well, she absolutely won't, actually. Everyone confused? Yes. Great. So let's get I'm so confused. Surely Peter's going to murder this poor woman because he's a f he, Something's wrong in Peter's head. Later that night, Peter f struggled to fall asleep. Okay. A magical gloom refused to fade from him, and when he closed his eyes, Alan, Anna's, Alan's, <laughs> Anna's porcelain face would appear. Lying next to his wife, Peter was wide awake, staring at the ceiling and contemplating. He loved Anna, and he understood that her life held nothing but untold misery for her. She deserved- Alright, Peter. Ch what was his name? Was it Peter? Yeah, alright, Peter. Chill out. How about you make your decisions for your life and let her make her decisions for her life? Alright? Untold misery. Jesus. 
She deserved so much better, he decided. Oh my, Peter! Could we become more holier than thou? Peter was determined to find a way to save her from this suffering. Yes, we can! And make her fall in love with him in return. She's still gonna get murdered isn't she? I think I have to interrupt for a second at this point. You see, this is my very first script for Simon, and I'd really like this to be only the first iteration of a long-term cooperation. Well, Dennis, honestly, you're doing great so far. So, bravo. But if I had Simon cancelled into oblivion right on day one, I'm afraid he might reconsider our future business relationship. So let me be clear. I'm telling this story from Peter's point of view, which is obviously flawed in many ways. Yeah, I assume that because this really... <laughs> I was just reading that, just like, yeah, no, this is... Didn't we even say like he was thinking about it? No, that was clear. We're all good, Dennis, but thank you for the double check. Also be you getting cancelled. Because <laughs> I'm saying this is psycho. Although I'm the one publishing it. So who knows these days? Who knows? Whether ethical sex work exists is not the point of contention here. It certainly did not in the realm Peter decided to go for. So he kind of got that right in hindsight, but he failed to understand the irony of him being part of the problem, not the solution. Save Anna from whom? From the exploitive predators like he was, from a hell that wouldn't exist without men like him. By the following evening, Peter was already drawn back to Potsdamer Street, but this time he came prepared. He greeted Anna by handing over a bottle of homemade fruit juice because he wanted to get some vitamins into her body. Anna didn't recognize Peter at first, but ultimately accepted his gift in exchange for some reluctant small talk. This game continued throughout the following weeks and months. Peter would visit her, bearing presents such as healthy food, warm clothes, or cash. She would, in return, pretend to somewhat like him back, besides the occasional sex. For Peter, however, this wasn't a business arrangement, but it was a blossoming love story. Oh, for Peter. For Pete's sake. You're delusional. Accordingly, his offerings became increasingly romantic. He would invite her to the movies. They would visit restaurants. When I happened to be with a client, he'd leave fruits and vegetables at a nearby kiosk so she could pick them up when she later returned to her spot. He even prepared a picnic in Berlin's biggest city park called Tiergarten. This is particularly remarkable to me as you'd imagine him being very secretive about this liaison, but he absolutely wasn't. Um, I guess that depends. Like, Berlin's a pretty big city, isn't it? Is he really going to be seen? Like, I don't know. His primary goal was to establish an ordinary love relationship with Anna. He dreamt of Anna moving in with him, introducing her to his colleagues and friends one day, maybe even marrying her. Mate, this is all a bit of a problem. Aren't you already married? <laughs> this idea quickly got out of hand, mate. The idea is already out of hand. Soon Peter, this is very weird. Soon Peter started bringing his children with him when he took Anna out for dates. Bruh. Bro, what are you up to? He wanted them to get used to her, maybe even accept her as a pseudo-mother, although she was hardly any older than his boys. Anna was having none of that. She was merely playing along, fueling his alternative reality because he generously paid for it. But Peter flatly refused to acknowledge this. Two years later, he would decline revealing to the court the exact amount of money he had spent during this phase. I hope it's really high. But when asked if it was five digits or even higher, he didn't object. At this point, a few of you might be on the fence, harboring a subtle grudge against Anna. Peter clearly is a f***ing idiot, and she's taking advantage of that for personal gain right Wait, <laughs> This, I, I might have, and honestly, probably not, the opinion that if she wasn't, their relationship was founded on the basis that she is exchanging love, and I'm doing the, uh, not love, but like, sex work for money 
that there's no peter is delusional like in law you often have the idea of the reasonable person would a reasonable person expect this and i think that's often a good like moral thing like would a reasonable person have done this and i think in this case a reasonable person would be like know exactly what's going on here peter is the unreasonable one anna is just acting in her best interest and like no no she is in the right <laughs> she's like wait you can give me money and we don't even have to have sex yeah <laughs> if that's your opinion you couldn't be more wrong so let me map out her situation because hearing anna's side of the story will unsurprisingly shed a whole different light on everything anna was herself a victim of a power structure in which she occupied the lowest possible position one level above her was a man who i will call Dima. in case it isn't obvious i changed all the names in this story as in a way almost everyone involved is a victim most news outlets reporting on this decided to protect their identities by using pseudonyms a motion that i can understand and therefore will continue also simon would butcher their actual names anyway so whatever if you consider the relationship between peter and anna to be extremely toxic her relationship with dima would be considered highly concentrated rice and poison he's he's a pimp right the guy above the the sex worker on the street is the pimp which i like prostitution's illegal is legal in where i live in the czech republic but pimping is very illegal and there was a there was a famous story a couple of years ago there was a, like a big like brothel or whatever it was um and there was this case going on against this guy who ran this like alleged brothel or whatever about whether he was a pimp or not and the courts were like and he, he was like a rich dude like he drove around in this like pink rolls royce classy uh and no he went to prison <laughs> where he fucking belongs in my opinion and the opinion of the courts he was both her pimp and her boyfriend oh no 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 you can't be someone that's not that does no 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 that's like saying i'm her boyfriend why are you because i beat her into submission jesus christ the bulk of whatever Peter was paying Anna would end up in Dima's pockets, from where it would be further distributed upwards through an endless ladder of higher-ranking pimps. Nothing Anna did in her life happened voluntarily or out of self-interest. Her hands and feet were tied to invisible strings, with Dima being her ruthless puppet master. Peter was nothing but an easy source of money, which Anna had little choice but to exploit, as she had a merciless slave driver to satisfy dima was known to be extremely violent towards everybody including anna whom he disgustingly still passed off as his sweetheart throughout the years anna apparently got so brainwashed by this cycle of powerlessness and violence that eventually she believed she loved dima back this is the casual criminalist not the casual psychoanalyst but I still think it's safe to assume Stockholm Syndrome did play a role here. According to police protocols, there was at least one instance where the situation got so badly out of control that Anna had to flee to a woman's protective shelter. But only one day later, she returned to Dima because, and I quote this directly from her testimony, she had a good heart. Yeah, whatever is going on in her mind has been so influenced by the situation she's in that it's just it's just it's this is just not rational thinking anymore anything close to it not that she's to blame in any way but wow their relationship is the second romance in this story which absolutely never existed in reality i'm well aware that love comes in all shapes and sizes but forcing someone into prostitution by resorting to violence constitutes a crime so disgusting that i think we can agree about not giving a flying f 
about whatever hardship Dima himself was stuck in. In his place, most would have preferred to go overseas under a false identity rather than do something so repugnant to anyone. There were clearly other options available, but Dima decided to continue with his sinister ways. Yeah, this is, it's just like, I don't care if someone's threatening your life or whatever, so run away. Because doing that is not acceptable under any circumstances. Now, Dima knew about Peter pretty much from the beginning, but not the other way around. Scamming a man out of his money with make-believe love story doesn't really work when you're also open about sharing a bedroom with another guy. Dima wanted to keep Peter as a happy customer, therefore he hid behind the curtain. He still had his hand in everything by instructing Anna how to rip off their patsy exactly. For quite a long time, the strategy was pretty basic though. Step 1. Provoke Peter's pity and guilt for Anna. Step 2. Profit. Step 3. Repeat. Genius business plan there. <laughs> But around two years into this mess, Dima decided to step up his game by orders of magnitude. Uh, is there going to be. This is like this blackmail begins, right? Because it's like, yo, they've got. These guys are obviously pieces of sh so blackmail is not exactly going to be a step up for them, is it? In autumn of 2013, Peter's mobile phone rang. He didn't recognize the number, but still decided to accept the call. From the other end of the line, he immediately heard a panicked, yelling woman's voice. At first, oh, maybe we're not going the blackmail route. Okay, we're going the she's been kidnapped, but not really route, so you got to pay a ransom sort of thing. That would be my second vibe. Maybe I'm wrong second time around. At first, he couldn't make out any words and was about to hang up again. But when he picked out Anna's name, his ears perked up. He could tell it wasn't Anna herself calling, but the woman did clearly mention her name. After a while, the unknown voice explained to her that Anna had been abducted and they had received a ransom note. Whoever took her demanded 4,000 euros for a safe return. You, dear listener, will certainly assume that if you had been in his position, you would have instantly recognized this call as a scam, but I beg to differ. Keep in mind that Peter didn't understand the first thing about the dangerous world that Anna lived in. Also, scams are, you know, they're thought out, they're effective. I can entirely see him falling for this scam. Keep in mind that Peter didn't understand the first thing about the dangerous world that Anna lived in. Maybe random abductions were a thing that regularly happened to sex workers on Potsdamer Street. And, you know, they somewhat are. Maybe not daily, but this is also nothing utterly unheard of among rival human trafficking rings. So, you might want to give Peter a pass for taking this very seriously. He was instructed to bring the money in cash to a specific location where a friend of Anna's would be waiting for him. This friend was then to use the money to buy Anna out. Without hesitation, Peter obliged. He probably would have paid ten times that amount for Anna's safety. I think it's a really reasonable and smart amount to ask for. Like, do regular people have like 40 grand knocking around? I'm going to say no. But this guy's like middle-aged, got a family, lives in the capital city. 4,000 euros is a realistic amount to come by. And that would be like perk up to me as a scam because it's like this is a an amount of money i can afford how do you know <laughs> from an outside perspective it's not hard to deduce the truth behind this call no abduction had ever happened the woman on the phone was just another sex worker dima had at his disposal to cut out the middleman dima himself went to pocket the cash peter selflessly delivered this was the first time peter met his nemesis in person even though he wouldn't realize it at this point now i crunched the numbers and with some educated guesswork peter had lost about twenty-five thousand euros to dima so far to put this into perspective when adjusting for inflation he could have alternatively purchased roughly 982,000 jewels in raid shadow legends what a useful comparison or one-fifth of the cheapest board ape yacht club nft currently available oh, this shit is such bullshit i hate it all quite a shame he fell for a scam instead <laughs> 
<laughs> Very nicely put, Dennis. As we have thoroughly established, Dima wasn't the nicest of people, but I cannot deny being a little impressed by his level of creativity going forward. The fake abduction was quickly followed up by Anna's parents suddenly dying. Funerals are expensive, so take a guess who stepped in to pay for the expenses. In Dima's defense, at least they only lied about Anna's parents being dead instead of literally killing them. The next cash grab, yeah, but because then I'd have a funeral to pay for. <laughs> Obviously, very clever, big brain business people. The next cash grab was even more absurd. What I failed to tell you so far is that Anna had a secret daughter living in another European country. This was a massive surprise to Peter as well, since the subject never came up in all of their years of supposed intimacy. Still, when she explained to him that his daughter had now reached school age and that she simply could not afford the necessary school supplies, Peter readily opened his wallet. How much are school supplies? My kid now goes to, um, uh, like, preschool, kindergarten, whatever you want to call it. Like, they have, like, a uniform. It's like two shirts. <laughs> they have a backpack, a spare pair of boots. Maybe 100, 200 euros we're talking about. Max? After all, Peter had recently gotten his own kids such great school supplies like bags and pencils, and Anna casually reminded him of this. This might be a shock for you, but the existence of a daughter was just another big fat lie, serving as a ticket for yet another guilt trip. It took Peter more than three years of this madness until he started asking questions. In March 2014, despite still being blind by love, he couldn't help but notice that all of those little oddities were forming a devastating pattern. Dude, you didn't notice the pattern of like minus signs in your bank account, like being big, like real, real big, and your wife didn't notice that. As he's like 4,000 euros, bro. 25,000 euros over years. Like, don't people notice when their money goes missing? I have to say, I'm just thinking about it now. And it's like, I'm so bad with personal finance that I just be like, I don't think I'd notice. <laughs> I just don't like I'm like as long as there's enough money in my bank accounts um uh, I'm like cool we're good and then sometimes it'll be embarrassing I'll be in a store and it would be declined and I'll be like oh, okay I've got to move some money from like one place to another it's not like I run out of money but it's like yeah oh I just didn't top up that card or this just because I'm just not really aware of it which um yeah just not very good with that stuff I think I'd notice if 25 grand went missing though that's that's some change man there was no big revelation, no popped lie, no accidental slip of the tongue that suddenly revealed the truth or anything like that. But for some reason, one day Peter's brain decided to consider the whole picture for one second. And once doubt is there is these things where you're like, oh, things like crystallize in your mind for just no reason. You're like, oh, I get it. Like I had some work thing the other day and I was like, oh, my, like I was working on like a new channel. And I'm like, I really like this. This is really good. And then. It just all suddenly crystallized in my mind, just being like, this is not going to work. This is just not going to work. And it was really sad and depressing because I was like, this is a really good idea. And I was so happy with it and everything. And you guys will never see it because it won't work. But I was like, it just all seemed to just like crystallize all at once. Amazing. And once doubt had settled into his mind, there was no way back. Only a few months ago, for the first time ever, Anna had confessed her love for him. He had been the happiest person, albeit only for a while, full of shame and pain. He dragged himself to the police department and he began to report. 
Now, obviously, a case as complex and multi-layered as this one requires a bit of investigation. Pimping, human trafficking, dangerous bodily harm, fraudulent extortion, it would probably take at least five minutes just to list every law that had allegedly been broken in the process of this Shakespearean drama. Because of this, it is neither surprising nor odd that the trial didn't begin until 2016, a good two years later. That's like some Theranos right there. When Peter went before the judge, all that was left of his inner fire was ashes. His eyes were sunken, and he had a defeated look to them, with a certain tension to his body that made him appear smaller than he was. His testimony resembled the reading of a romantic novel by a broken person who had lost everything. Every single word he spoke carried tangible weight for all of those listening to him, and according to at least one report, tears were shed by many. Why are you doing this, Peter? If, if you are concerned, like you've broken laws as well, Oh, no, you haven't. Prostitution's legal. Um, you've been conned embarrassingly. Why would you go to the courts and reveal all of this? You're not going to get your money back, let's be honest. And so it could be to protect Anna, who, even though is not in love with you, you still care about from her pimp. But aren't there better ways to do that? Somehow? Like, or th- I mean, the police already knows that know this happens, can't you? Like, do some... Come up with a better plan than this. When it was Anna's turn to testify, not a single emotion was present in her demeanor. She portrayed Peter as if she had hardly ever known him, a random jong among many, bare of any details. He sometimes was a nuisance to her, she explained, and spending time with him was a slight inconvenience, but he did pay good money, so, you know, whatever. The case against Anna was relatively quickly decided. The judge clearly had sympathy for the situation Anna had found herself in five years ago, but there was no denying the fact that she had committed fraud. So she pretty much got a slap on the wrist, as she was objectively guilty of the crime that she had been accused of, but not so much on a semantic level. A couple of months on probation for good measure, it was. I think we can agree with this ruling. For Dima, however, Oh, he's gonna get he's gonna get the book thrown at him, which will be great because he's a for Dima, however, the trial dragged on for several additional days, given the number and seriousness of the charges against him. On the last day of his trial, Peter was once again called to the stand in order to clarify some final details. As the judge asked him when he had last spoken to Anna outside of the courtroom, everyone was expecting an answer of two or three years ago. But to everyone's shock, Peter quietly responded with yesterday, after she had been released. Peter found out where she was staying and decided to visit, he explained, but instead of her, another man opened the door and told him to get lost, as Anna had no intentions of meeting him. When Peter insisted on at least exchanging a few words with her, Anna yelled for another room, ordering him to piss off. Okay, Peter yelled back, unable to catch a glimpse of her, but please at least take the roses I brought. And this is where our story concludes. I don't know about you, but both researching and retelling this has somewhat messed me up. You see, when Peter first decided to visit Potsdamer Street, I highly doubt his underlying motivation was anything related to sex. You don't think? I mean, I get like, okay, so he's low. <sighs> Could he? I, I don't know. I think, look, it's, that's definitely part of it because he had sex with her. So, Yeah. Yeah, it was. I don't know, I disagree. Again, it's not the casual psychoanalyst, but I firmly believe Peter fell victim to one of the worst and deadliest pandemics this century has too often. I'm not talking about COVID, I'm talking about loneliness. Peter seems to have been so deprived of human connection that somehow he projected all of his hopes to escape this solitude into one person. While being with Anna, he became enchanted by that notion of love but not necessarily by Anna herself. I don't believe in love at first sight, at least not to this extreme. 
But I know for a fact the general isolation of modern society can easily mess up one's psyche this severely. Okay, so I agree he's a bit messed up, but also he's he's married and maybe he's not like maybe he doesn't love his wife anymore. But he's got two kids. Like I'm like super like not lonely when I'm around my kids. I'm always like I don't know. I guess they're young and they're not yet. <laughs> like it's so sad. I like look at my kids and they're so affectionate. I go in from work and they both want to give me like a giant hug and I'm like ah. Oh. And I know at some point they're just going to be like, Dad, I'm watching TV. I'm going out with my friends, Dad. And I smoke. So I'm, I'm, I'm bracing myself for that. But like, I don't know. I get such like non-loneliness from them. And also from my wife, who I love. According to a meta-study involving more than 3.5 million adults, 35% of people Peter's age can be categorized as critically lonely. This study also found that excessive loneliness often directly contributes to all sorts of health problems, including mental ones and sometimes even death. Dennis, if you don't tell me what happens to Dima, I'm going to lose my right now. <laughs> there is, of course, just one more piece of information that I owe you. What happened to Dima? Life in prison. No, I don't know. Is that true? Let's find out. Death penalty, which they definitely don't have in Germany. I think you can't join the EU if you have death penalty. So I think that's like, isn't... Hey, Siri, is the death penalty in Turkey? Oh, f Siri. It's just telling me the web results. But I think Turkey might still have... Shut up. I think Siri might start, Siri. I think Turkey might still have the death penalty, which is one reason why they can't join the EU, among other reasons, of course. It's also Turkey. It's run by Erdogan. Doesn't really got. It doesn't really have that EU vibe, does it? It is Turkey that wants to join EU and has that death penalty, right? Right? Am I imagining that? Well, in contrast to the rest of this peachy story, that's quite a downer. The court was unable to prove most of his alleged crimes, thus he was completely acquitted of human trafficking and pimping. The relevant witness turned out to be extremely fickle and reticent in court, much as if intimidation had been involved. However, the court found some minor charges for which Dima could be held accountable. Do the Al Capone thing! <laughs> What's he guilty of? Nothing. <laughs> What's he done? He's, he's a mob boss. He's killed so many people. We can't pin anything on him. But he doesn't pay boom tax evasion baby that's what we get dima for for example he bought an expense oh are we really doing this uh he bought an expensive car with the money he stole from peter being the show-off he was he proudly drove his new car down potsdrammer street regularly unfortunately he never bothered to get a driver's license because it was beneath him <laughs> he did it they outcomponed him want to take a guess on his final ruling when he got a year and eight months on probation he did go to prison though he was already out on probation for completely unrelated petty oh well i was kind of hoping that they'd get him his driving without a driver's license and you know when you look at those things it's like maximum penalty five years it's like can we just not give him the maximum come on Despite my best efforts, tracking Anna's traces after the trial was to no avail. I really wanted to assure you that she ultimately got the support she needed and is doing fine nowadays, but I can't. She basically vanished from the records. This might be for the better, though. If I can't find her, maybe her past can't either. Good. Okay, next story, because it's a double episode. Let's go. The Imitation Game. From my understanding, rap has always been a story of empowerment as it tends to turn entrenched hierarchies upside down. Does it? Isn't the music industry famous for like, I mean, I guess there are like people who've broken through for nothing, but wasn't the music or isn't the music, I don't know, like I don't know anything about the music industry, but isn't it famous for being like really hard because it's like you gotta like get a producer or um, what's it called? Not a producer, a record label. So like sell your stuff like that i guess spotify and stuff has changed that but i thought that was kind of the vibe like 
there's like lots of gatekeepers but i don't know i guess that's changed if you came from a difficult background, you didn't have to be ashamed of it. On the contrary, you were respected for working up your unfavorable starting conditions in your rhymes. No one would judge you for it. For many marginalized circles, hip-hop was one of the few outlets where you could earn recognition, not in spite of your scars and disadvantages, but because of them. Seriously, how many rappers out there do you know who lack an exceedingly grim backstory? Isn't famously, um... Uh, what's his name? Kanye West. I feel like his background, and he's like one of the big boys probably maybe the biggest of boys and i'm just gonna look this up but i get the feeling that kanye west comes from a privileged background i could be absolutely wide of the mark about that because i don't know anything about kanye west but i think isn't that let's wikipedia him early life early life that's what we want West was raised in a middle-class environment, attending Polaris school for individual education in suburban oaklawn illinois after living in chicago at the age of 10, West moved with his mother to Nanjing, China, where she was a teacher at the Nanjing University as a Fulbright scholar. So yes, <laughs> Kanye West's background is not hard scrabble, apparently. Glad I got that right. The only one that comes to mind is probably Mike Shinoda. I've never heard of him, but he managed to cleverly compensate for his lack of an abysmal origin by being the best rapper to have ever lived. If you disagree, you're clearly wrong, but by all means, feel free to fight me in the comments. I have no idea who Mike Shinoda is. I, I mean, I like... There's not a lot of music I don't like. Like, I find trap pretty unbearable. Um, that just the immediate one that comes to mind. But I like a lot of, like, I like some rap music. I like some hip-hop. I like some jazz. I like classical. I like singer-song. I like, you know, if music is good, it's good. I've yet to hear any good trap music. So uh, pop off in the comments. Let me know. I'm probably going to hate it. What was the other one? Um, what's that music where it's, like, extremely bassy and horrible? <laughs> oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's terrible as well. Anyway, Felix Weber hadn't been raised by the streets of a violent urban dystopia. Instead, he was raised by the rolling hills of Germany's rural south with an endless patchwork of greens, browns, and yellows in any direction. A mere thousand people lived in his village, where farmhouses dotted the landscape, smoke lethargically rising from their chimneys, and chickens pecking in the middle of unpaved streets. Felix would often lie among the grapevines with large headphones on his head, fantasizing about being one of the rappers, blasting into his eardrums. Then again, he often feared that this wish could never become reality. What was he even supposed to rap about? The nearby river which peacefully meandered through the lands? <laughs> I don't know, let me kind of fire. He strongly doubted this would earn him any street cred. Still, he was hell-bent on pursuing his dreams. They would eventually turn out, though, to become nightmares. His best friend, Sinan, shared Felix's ambitions. Together, they brought a lot of commotion to the otherwise sleepy area. They proved to be the bane of all their teachers. They experimented with soft drugs. Oh, no! Admired the criminal prestige of their gangster rap idols and dabbled in the art of rhythmic poetry themselves. I wonder what German rap sounds like. I'm sure it, it must exist. I know Czech rap exists. It's weird. Like, because with rap, like, a lot of it is the lyrics, right? So it feels very weird to, like, uh, to listen to, like, German rap or whatever, and I'd have no idea what they're saying, which would kind of, like, take away a lot of the point of rap music, right? And they weren't particularly bad at it, although none of their home recordings managed to escape the confinements of their MySpace pages. From a technical point of view, the results were quite impressive, though Felix possessed a promising, if still somewhat youthful, voice clearly suited for this kind of music. Through a lot of ambitious practice, he also knew how to handle his vocal apparatus, earning him a small following online. Simon and Felix filmed each other striking cool poses, toying around with borrowed sports cars, and handling fake weapons. <laughs> it's like... 
It's just how I imagine like a wannabe rapper on Instagram. This is it. Or MySpace or whatever. Everything the big rappers in Berlin did, they imitated on a much smaller scale. This was one of the reasons why their big breakthrough was a long time coming. In the rap game, authenticity is the lead currency. No matter how good you are, no one give a crap about your tracks as long as you remain a knockoff. When you're writing about drive-by shootings while sipping a cup of warm vanilla chocolate milk that your loving mother prepared for you, people can usually tell. <laughs> Yeah. Also, do they have drive-by shootings in Germany? I don't... I, I, I've never heard of that. I don't think so. And then Fortune played a hand in Felix's favor. He was involved in a drive, but not really. Not really. Another rapper named Devin Jones happened to randomly stumble across a track by Felix, which piqued his interest. Devin was not one of the big players, but he had at least made a small name for himself. His greatest achievement? A feature with Bushido, probably the most prestigious German rapper of the time. Naturally, Felix was thrilled when Devin Jones... Is this his real name? It sounds like the least German name ever. Devin Jones suggested working on a collab together. They put this idea into practice, and although the result was anything but successful, the experience further strengthened Felix's fighting spirit. He felt that he now had a foot in the door. In the 2010s, there were three undisputed luminaries at the top of the German hip-hop food chain. Bushido, who I just mentioned, Sido, and Fleur. Of these, Sino... Uh, uh, I'm like, I've never heard of any of these guys, but I also think if we were talking about, like, British or American rappers, I'd also be like just not super familiar of these Simon and Felix had a definite favorite which was Fleur they deemed Fleur to be some sort of rap god which in retrospect seems like blasphemy against Eminem <laughs> really Eminem the rap god Eminem <laughs> I'm not sure if that's sarcasm Dennis I kind of hope so I mean Eminem's not bad but he's not like the best or anything, is he? But it still amounted to nothing short of an obsession. These two youngsters idolize Fleur in such a morbid way that maybe not even your worship of Simon can compete with it. Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> I am loved and revered, Dennis. One day, the two hatched a plan which sounded so bonkers that it was doomed to fail from the get-go. They decided to rent a car and head to Berlin, where they would track down Fleur and ambush him. Bro, this is sounding like crimes, which makes sense because I was wondering, where are the crimes? This is the casual criminalist. Why are we learning about German rap? As soon as they had Fleur before them, Felix was supposed to rap a few lines, which Fleur would then be so enthusiastic about that he'd immediately take him on as his disciple, get him a record deal, and become his best friend. Absolutely realistic and down-to-earth stuff here. It sounds like the sort of that you'd come up with as an edgy 14-year-old and then be embarrassed about a few years later when you realize how stupid you were and you've... You don't even like Fleur anymore, and you've moved on to whoever the next big thing is. To be clear, Fleur was gargantuan at the time. He was a nationwide A-list celebrity whose name and face could be recognized even by people who had nothing to do with rap. Nevertheless, these twats were absolutely convinced that the plan would somehow work out in the end. As creepy mega-fans, they knew practically everything about Fleur and his life, both the public and the private one. They had a rough idea of which parts of Berlin he often hung out in, what kind of pubs and clubs he visited, and which shisha bars he preferred. He must have security and shit, right, if he's this famous, right? Like, if you're an A-list... Do A-list celebrities have, like, security? Maybe not. But, like, you go, you'd be a little bit cautious. You'd maybe sit in the back in your own little room or something, right? Otherwise, you're just going to be hassled all the time, which would be miserable. Despite their ridiculous optimism, they had set themselves a time limit. If they couldn't locate Fleur within a week, so be it. On the evening of the last day, as they began their tour of those venues most likely to promise them an encounter... They couldn't believe their eyes. There he was, shisha pipe in hand, surrounded by other greats of the Berlin rap scene. Reflections of bright neon lights dancing on his face. Without hesitation, Felix gathered all of his courage, walked straight up to his idol, and in a fake nonchalant voice, he said, Hi, Fleur. I'm Felix. 
Can I rap for you? This took her by surprise. In a way, it was disrespectful to even address him without an invitation. <laughs> Alright, mate, chill out. <laughs> People can go up for you. He's being very polite. Hi. Can I can I he's asking. He's not just like, what's up, dude? And now I'm gonna rap. He's like, he's he's being nice. But perhaps it was this crossing of boundaries that sparked Fleur's interest. Alright, Fleur said, after slowly putting down his pipe. Go ahead. And Felix did. Um, I don't know if it's the crossing like I as someone who occasionally not gets hassled, but you know, people will be like, hey, it's like when people are polite, it's much nicer. There's there's only one time I could think of where somebody was not polite to me. And I was like, bro, this is not appropriate. <laughs> I had to be like, I'm sorry, but this is not okay. <laughs> but most of the time, politeness is really nice. That's like, that's cool. I think the politeness probably is why he was like, yeah, man, of course. It's because I just thought that's what he does. He says, all right. He puts down his pipe and he says, go ahead, and Felix did. A few minutes later, Felix found himself face to face with an approvingly nodding flair. He seemed downright impressed. His fellow guests had an appreciative look on their faces. Felix had wrapped a few lines, which Flair was so enthusiastic about that he immediately took him on as his disciple, got him a record deal, and became his best friend. And I'm not even joking. No, you aren't. Shut the f***ing door. That's amazing. No. <laughs> This is actually, I, I, I don't want this to go wrong. I want this story to end here because this is just like this kid has his dream fulfilled. God damn. This fateful encounter developed into something that pretty much resembled Felix's wildest dreams. Flair indeed took him under his wing, introduced him to all sorts of important personalities, taught him about both music writing and production, and showed him how to navigate life as a professional rapper. You are joking this is actually amazing he even allowed felix to stay at his place since the country boy naturally had no other place to sleep in berlin fleur invested heavily in his discovery and in doing so he hardly shied away from anything he put felix in expensive clothes and got him fancy jewelry accessories that simply were a part of being a gangster rapper after they recorded a few demo tapes it was clear to fleur that this kid had a gigantic future ahead of him that needed to be nurtured I am just waiting for the point where it's like, Dennis is like, nah, Hadji, that never happened, because of course it didn't. This is like a movie. This is one of those kids' movies, which are just un too unrealistic for adults. But this is life, apparently. I'm sure this was some huge news story in Germany, but it's like one of those things where it just doesn't cross the borders, does it? This is incredible. Shortly after, he officially announced that Felix was now part of his record label, and after sharing a stage side by side with his mentor for the first time, Felix's career blew up. Well, my dear listener, this story has been quite inspiring so far, but don't get any wrong ideas. From now on, it's going to go steeply downhill. I don't want it to. I just wanted to end here with Felix being a legend. And Fleur being a legend for being like, yeah, sure, man. I'll take you under my wing. I love it. And I get the feeling I'm about to hate it. During his meteoric rise to fame, it was never really questioned that Felix had great talent. Fleur had certainly helped to further hone his tunes, besides giving him a serviceable outwards appearance with a metric ton of glitter and showmanship. Yet he would not forget the fundamental flaw that hid beneath all of that. At the core, Felix was still a fake who reeked of privilege for miles around. You see, Felix's style of music started to change quickly, whereas Felix previously served all the cliches by writing songs about flashy cars, guns, and mothers with Fulbright scholars not really i just made that up and naked women his tone now became much more personal and somber at first glance this was an improvement but it was a risky one the more openly he poured out the tragedies of his life the more likely people were to realize that there was rarely any truth to it and i'll just i, I worry that I've, I've upset kanye west fans um because i know they're very extreme i enjoy kanye west's music um not all of it some of it and 
some of it's just honestly very weird that new album um what's it called is bizarre it's very strange um but you know i like the hits what uh what i want to say is like it's okay that it comes from a privileged background that's cool i come from a privileged background it doesn't mean you can't do in fact it means you're more likely to do even in rap probably because having a privileged background is really beneficial to life in its entirety at first glance this was an improvement but it was a risky one the more openly he poured out the tragedies of his life the more likely people were to realize that there was rarely any truth to it felix grew aware of this problem though he tried to defend his lies by creating an underbelly of even more lies an idea of which of course hardly ever goes wrong he began to make more and more frequent insinuations about his involvement in the criminal milieu especially with the czech mafia for some unknown reason to my knowledge, there was no indication that these innuendos were true, but perhaps I'm going to do a little snooping in the Prague underworld and ask a few more questions. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? I don't know, I get murdered. <laughs> I didn't even know there was Czech Mafia. <laughs> Holy sh**. At one point, Felix appeared in front of the cameras with a scar on his face. About his origin, he was emphatically silent. The scar later turned out to be a tattoo. In one of his songs, Felix described in detail how his father shot himself in front of his eyes due to a huge financial debt that he could not repay. At the same time, Felix's eccentric self-promotion became more and more the focus of his persona, increasingly displacing his passion for rap music itself. Fleur did not appreciate this development in the least. Just like the public, he became suspicious of his protege. One day, Fleur called Felix's parents' house with a disguised voice and some pretend request asking him to speak to the father. This was to verify whether the story about the suicide was even true. In the weeks before, Felix had constantly retold the story for newspaper interviews on the radio, even in youth magazines. He shared it all a little too willingly, Fleur believed. Contrary to his expectations, though, Felix had neither fabricated his father's death nor the circumstances what holy okay what if if i found that out if i was this blur dude and and i was like on the phone and then mum was like no that's true he did um it's it devastated our family i'll be like okay never mind everything he says is true <laughs> if he wants to tattoo a scar on his face let him be poor bloody guy Nevertheless, Flair was convinced that Felix could no longer be trusted. Wait, you just found something that makes him seem extremely trustworthy! Even though Felix's father had indeed taken his own life due to financial hardship a few years prior, Flair simply felt that Felix had artificially played up the details and consequences of this incident in order to exploit it for his flimsy image. I, I am kind of okay with this. It's just like, look, we all exaggerate a little bit because it makes stories more interesting. When you're telling a story, you're like, you know... Just, you, you, or is that just me <laughs> but you're like more inclined to play to the more interesting aspects of the story for sure because it makes it more interesting especially when you're like telling a story because it's about you know it builds your career and your image and your like gangster rappiness that's fine i'm totally okay with this PR person would probably tell you the same thing. And this was just one dubious topic from a boundless sea of questionable stories. I'm not sure if I could completely agree with Blair on this one, though. Witnessing the death of one's parents is a drastic experience that will undoubtedly leave deep wounds, especially when it comes to this particular kind of passing. I don't know if Felix literally watched his father pull the trigger, as the lyrics claimed, but then again, isn't hip-hop full of metaphors and figurative language by nature? Yes, and also embellishments. His father died from horrible circumstances going after the smallest discrepancy seems a little void of respect if you ask me yes a hundred percent agree it's totally fine of course this changes nothing about the thousands of other shenanigans which were outright preposterous yet i'm still a bit puzzled as to why 
this of all topics was the decisive one for flair why not felix's absurd fantasy stories about the czech mafia or the fact that he literally had a fake scar tattooed on his face i mean this guy had more red flags than the soviet union ah plenty to choose from a few months into their honeymoon flair acted on his instincts and made a final decision which he painless oh like business honeymoon not like actually i was like wait he got married what's going on <laughs> which he painlessly relayed to his apprentice over the phone. Effective immediately, he would terminate any professional cooperation as well as their friendship. This destroyed Felix in many ways, especially because he failed to see it coming. He had just gotten used to his new life, but was not yet sufficiently established to stay afloat without Fleur's influence. Oh no, no, this is terrible. It's like I thought he would be successful enough to make it on his own at this point. Oh, you gotta wait until you can make it on your own before you abandon people. Come on. Everyone knows that. It's basic sun tzu lacking the endorsement of a powerful benefactor his career instantly lay in ruins overnight felix's existence as a fast rising rapper had been completely wiped out and given his shaky reputation merely a microscopic following would stay by his side for all intents and purposes flair had killed off felix's entire existence as quickly as he'd created it just by snapping his fingers maybe felix was all too right in deeming flair a rap god oh because he could just extinguish someone's career that's so intense jesus what now though his short-lived career had neither provided him lasting wealth or opened up viable alternatives he was back to square one berlin suddenly felt very far away as he furiously tore flare posters off the wall in his childhood bedroom where he'd moved in again oh my god this is such a fool it'd be like so intense to have this like to have everything taken away and it's like as look i'm not some german rap god but it is like i do feel i have this like you know fairly successful going on career going on and it's like it could all be to like youtube's like nah we're just not gonna we just don't do videos anymore we're gonna be um we're gonna be like tiktok we're just gonna do shorts <laughs> like oh no because i've been making two hour videos for my whole life no and then it's like i have to move back home with my parents with my family <laughs> it's like no i'll be okay but it is like it would be pretty intense i feel this he lacked any other professional training or prospect and even if he did he would have refused to pursue them felix had tasted from an addictive world of excess and opulence for the life of him he would never accept a regular job as a farmer or a mechatronics technician is that like a German word? Mechatronics. I don't think that's a... I mean, I guess mechatronic. Sometimes when, like, because Dennis is German, sometimes you'll get these, like, and it's like, yeah, that, okay, that's the technically correct word. But has anyone else ever heard of the word mechatronics before? <laughs> Sorry, look, I can barely even speak English myself. So I, I should not make fun of someone who's writing in their second language, but I do like mechatronics. <laughs> A desire for revenge grew roots in his mind, and to some degree, he felt unable to put down this artificial persona that he had diligently crafted for the big stage. Now I'm feeling particularly bad because Dennis can write English way better than I can write English. <laughs> I read emails that I write to my writers and like people sometimes, and I'm like, holy sh whistle. I read it back and I can barely understand it myself. Dennis is like, Simon, what is this? What do you mean, Simon? Between Flair and him, the final rhyme was yet to be dropped. However, Felix was not the only one who had undergone a fundamental development in the last few months. His old circle of friends, who readily welcomed him back, somewhat ironically had mutated into a small criminal fraternity. What? They were no longer just rowdy people and class clowns. They had evolved into serious thugs. The most surprising one. Well, maybe you can get his thug backgrounds and he can go back to the rap scene. The most surprising one was a guy named Levent. He had morphed into something completely different from what Felix had known. 
all those months ago. The once shy boy had become a muscular jock who displayed a fundamentally aggressive demeanor, and he acted quite self-confident about his small drug empire, where even the harder stuff was available. Sinan, who had previously posed with toy guns in an attempt to look badass, was now buying and selling actual firearms on the dark web, sometimes using their stock to rob surrounding gas stations. Oh my lord, you guys are gonna go to prison. This is proper crimes, guys. And while they got a kick out of secretly drinking beer in the schoolyard a year ago, now they would routinely get high on their own supply for breakfast. Sounds like an environment you could authentically gangster rap about, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> Wait, is he gonna go back into the rap scene with all this experience? That'd be kind of cool. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Felix instantly recognized that he could capitalize on the new circumstances. He played up his significance by rigidly sticking to his strange declarations. For instance, he fervently recounted how he once visited an illegal crocodile farm in Prague, which belonged to a high-ranking local underworld boss who everyone would listen to. Why would you have a crocodile farm? Why are you farming crocodiles? What's that for? I don't think there's a crocodile farm here. There is like a crocodile... Wait, no, that wasn't here. That was somewhere else I visited where there was a crocodile zoo. Yeah, I don't know why I'm talking about this. Another time he revealed to Sign Eleven that he had randomly met a Czech mafioso on the train. Toomey shared his beef with Fleur just to pass the time. The mafioso was so taken by this tragic tale that he promptly offered to have Fleur assassinated for free. You know, as usually happens. <laughs> We're back to him being an edgy teenager. <laughs> Felix invested only small portions of his newfound free time into producing new tracks due to the lack of an audience. The songs he did release, though, showed an obvious thematic focus and reflected an inner ambivalence. Was Felix mad at Fleur? Was he disappointed, hurt, heartbroken? Was he longing to win Fleur back or beat him to death? Presumably all of these simultaneously. Some songs read like a breakup drama, others like threats. Blue blood will turn red, he wrote. Uh-oh. Alluding to Fleur's album Blue Blood. That sounds like a death threat, mate. You don't want to be broadcasting that. Then again, other lines that feel like they came from a place of unilateral love and respect. I briefly considered having little fact boy rap a few of those lines, but then I remembered the Geneva Convention against auditory torture is a crime against humanity. Yeah, no, probably for the best. Up to this point, our story is quite clear and well documented after all. Most of it played out in public and no one really seems to dispute the course of events so far. Unfortunately, it gets a bit murkier from here on out. Although we are already five pages in, Felix hasn't really done anything resembling a crime yet. This will ostensibly change in the next paragraph with one of the involved players being shot dead. That is a big, big one. If you rap about something, can you get in trouble for that? Wasn't there a news case about this or something? Like, uh, not a news case, but it was in the news about some court case about some rapper who rapped about something and they were like, bro, did you mean that? And he's like, yeah, I meant it. And it's like, okay, you're going you're gonna to be arrested for crimes. There's murder. Uh, otherwise, I feel like rap would be like, and then I did this, allegedly. <laughs> The murder was later followed up by a spectacle trial in which the vastly divergent accounts of the prosecution and defense were never fully reconciled. Well, I don't think they often are reconciled in a court because one person's like he didn't do it and the other person is like well he did dinny for now though i'll go with felix's narrative not because i find it particularly credible but it is a good starting point to subsequently weigh it against inconsistencies and circumstantial evidence you'll probably notice several oddities right away as the seasoned internet sleuth that you are but why not 
Later, we will work through them all together whilst constructing a timeline of events more in accordance with the facts. Keep in mind, however, that everything after this line is to be understood with the caveat of allegedly. Well, it's allegedly, but it's also like his point of view. So, I mean, that's what we're going that's what we're going through here. At the end of 2014, with only 2 days left until New Year's Eve, an emergency call reached the dispatch office very early in the morning. An agitated young man was on the line, audibly in shock, though he immediately got to the point. One of his buddies had been shot right in the head execution style. The unknown perpetrators then punched his body with their bare fists like rabid maniacs. When they found that despite the bullet wound in his forehead, there was still some movement left in his limbs, they shot him again and quickly drove off. And that wasn't everything, declared the caller who identified himself as Felix Weber upon a request. He knew what the murderers were plotting. He knew who was next on their hit list. A man from Berlin who had to be warned immediately, who needed police protection without further hesitation. His name was Patrick Lesensky better known as Flair. Police took this call very seriously and jumped into action twofold. 800 kilometers to the north, Berlin's law enforcement immediately reached out to one of its most prominent residents, alerting him of the impending danger. At the same time, an armada of emergency services and investigators were sent to the crime scene on a dirt road on the outskirts of the rural hamlet where Felix Weber resided. Unfortunately for the murder victim, who turned out to be Felix's friend Levant, all help came too late. Well, he had been shot in the head. I know people survived that, but let's just say it's probably rare, isn't it? He had put up a fight, but ultimately succumbed to his wounds. In his, his wounds. A bullet in the brain. Investigators wasted no time, given that two insane killers were supposedly on the loose. They took Felix in for questioning, who, despite the traumatic experience, waived both psychological and legal counseling and agreed to answer all questions right away. But in a way, he didn't. When asked about the murder, he claimed to have witnessed Felix preferred to talk at length about all other topics instead. <laughs> that sounds frustrating. It's like, Felix, talk about the murder. It's like, well, I was working on my rap. Felix, the bloody murder, Felix! He recounted his childhood, his father's suicide, his friendship with Fleur and how the latter stabbed him in the back, his surge to Sardom, and how it was unfairly snatched from him. His testimony was basically an autobiographical self-dramatization which by itself did not find its way back to the actual subject, even openly admitted to somehow being associated with the Czech Mafia, which seems to be an unreasonable bit of small talk while sitting in a criminal police interrogation room. Yeah, it'd be like, no, 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 I did shoot him, I am in the Mafia. Just FYI, I've got friends in the Mafia. It's like, bro, what are you up to? <laughs> Don't be admitting that. Of course, everyone processes shock moments in vastly different ways, yet this behavior evoked a vague suspicion that something was amiss about him. Hold on to your hats, though. After being gently brought back to the killing, he would eventually provide some specifics. And believe me, you are in for a treat. I have to say, I'm enjoying the hell out of the story so far. Like, the beginning, his craziness, and now he's back involved in actual crimes, and now he's telling this. I oh, shot him, right? He definitely shot his mate, allegedly, in my opinion. That's what I'm speculating. And then he made it up about those two people going to Berlin, so it looks like he saved Fleur. And Fleur's going to be like, oh, Felix, I forgive you. Thank you so much. You're so kind. And now come back and be my protege again. It's not going to happen. Fleur's moved on. He's not even thinking about you, Felix. That's the thing. Felix, your life is all about Fleur. And he's a big part of your life. But Felix, you're a small part of his life. He doesn't think about you at all. Did, did you guys see Mad Men? love that show and there's just that one scene that sticks with me so hard where it's like uh don draper's in the elevator and this like young copywriter comes in and uh he's like going oh you know i think about what you did and this wasn't really fair and i think it's a bad thing blah 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 and don draper's just like doesn't even look at him he's like oh that's weird 
I don't think about you at all. <laughs> it's like savage. God, that's such a good show. Love that show. <laughs> that's funny. I don't think about you at all. <laughs> Beast. Oh my God. Okay, let's carry on. Earlier that day, he had asked his friend Levin for a small favor. Felix had explained to him that he was to meet a Czech mafioso at a secluded dirt road later that evening to do some crooked business. The Czech would also bring another person who unfortunately only spoke Romanian. Since Levent was of Romanian descent, he was asked to accompany Felix and offer his services as an interpreter. Levent accepted his friend's request, possibly hoping for a share. The dubious meeting was to take place in the middle of the night in a place so remote that the only source of light was the shimmering frost of the fallow fields reflecting the night sky. It was a bit of cold that night, around negative 8 Celsius. For our American viewers, that's really, really cold. Thank you for the Fahrenheit translation there. Fortunately, Levens and Felix did not have to wait long. The mysterious Jack arrived on time at the meeting point, driving a French police car. Okie dokie, presumably stolen. Mate, you're driving a French police car in Germany. How long do you think it's going to be before you're pulled over? French police cars don't just drive to other countries. Have you ever seen a police car from a different country in the country where you are? I'm fairly sure that wouldn't be allowed. And you're going to get pulled over so hard and so immediately by police. Just probably because they're curious beyond anything else. Uh, so obviously I don't believe this story. Instead, the passenger door opened and the unknown Romanian stepped out onto the gravel road. Felix did not speak Romanian. The Romanian did not speak German. Consequently, it was Levin's task to establish diplomatic contact had previously agreed. So Levin's approached the Romanian, who did not leave the car's vicinity. They exchanged a word. What they talked about, Felix could not tell. He did notice, however, that the tone was slowly becoming more strident. After a few exchange sentences, the situation suddenly escalated. Without warning, the Romanian pulled out a gun and shot Levin right in the face, beat his lifeless body like a madman, tore a piece of flesh from his neck and swallowed it, and then shot him again before throwing himself back in the car, disappearing with the check into the darkness of the night, leaving Felix behind. From my personal experience, I can only assume their disagreement was about their favorite starter Pokemon. We've all been there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've oft, I often get so upset on minor things that I'll tear a chunk out of someone's neck with my mouth and then swallow it. Felix had been so shell-shocked by the events that he practically lost all sense of space and time. Apparently, he had been wandering around all night, he claimed to the police officers. Shortly before dawn, he happened to cross the path of the mailman who lent him his cell phone. Felix used it to make the police call. In parallel with this interrogation, the forensics team was busy combing the crime scene for clues. Let me guess, they're not going to find clues of this stuff that he said happened. Felix's story did not match their findings, which does not exactly come as a surprise to us. First of all, there was no indication of any vehicle recently being parked at the site indicated. Both stopping and hastily speeding off causes very specific types of tire tracks on gravel roads, which were clearly absent. What a big surprise. Also, this is what, 10 years ago? Didn't they say something like that? 2014? Eight, eight years ago? Nine years? Eight years ago? So, there's going to be cameras, bro. And they're going to pick up a French police car at some point on the, on the autobahns or whatever between um, France and Berlin. Because Berlin is really far inside Germany. What do you think how, how, What do you think's going to happen? They're obviously going to find out your story's complete very quickly. How stupid are you? On the other hand, they did find an object of utmost curiosity. A French-Czech dictionary, in a way, that supports Felix's story. It's 2014, didn't we have Google Translate and sh 
If the check arrived in a French car, he probably also had entered from France. The village where the fateful encounter took place was in fact located relatively close to the French border. It is therefore reasonable to assume that the two mafioso could have used such a dictionary prior to their entry into Germany. Now, my dearest casual criminalist out there, let's get cozy in our armchairs with a nice cup of tea, as this is the point uh, which reporting gives way to communal deduction. Does the presence of the French Czech dictionary bolster our protagonist's account so far? Well, yes, it does. I don't think it's... Uh, maybe it's like he put it there, because that's the sort of insane thing that an edgy teenager would do. Um, I think he just probably put it there, didn't he? Because he was like, yeah, this will back up my story. This is enough. <laughs> Let me guess, his fingerprints are all over it. Well, I personally don't think so. Ask yourself this. How did the dictionary find its way out of the car? None of the people who attended the meeting were proficient in French. Therefore, the book would have been entirely... Oh, yeah, no, he's a Romanian. They just happened to have a French police car. So it's literally placed there by Felix, allegedly, and obviously not even very well thought through. No one would have any reason to ever touch it. Nevertheless, it must have somehow gotten out of the car, of which only one door was ever very briefly opened. I can't think of a plausible explanation for this. In my humble opinion, though, it doesn't seem completely far-fetched to assume that it's a red herring. Perhaps the dictionary was deliberately placed there by Felix as a way to lend more credibility to the two mobsters' existence. He would have had sufficient time to do so, both before and after Levin's untimely death. If they can trace this, if they could trace the purchase back to like a, a bookstore, that would be amazing because it's definitely going to be bought in his local bookstore or online or something. When Felix was confronted with this evidence, he immediately changed his story. Mind you, his new statement fits the facts slightly better, yet it still leaves a lot to be desired. So, here we go. First of all, Felix meekly admitted that yes, indeed, he had made up the two mobsters. They never existed. Oh my god, what? They didn't? Felix, how could you lie to us? So obviously. However, he maintained that he had not placed the dictionary there. Well, fine, let's give him a pass on that for the moment. Maybe the dictionary had been lying there by complete chance. Stranger coincidences have happened in the world. Instead of some random mobsters, Sinon was along for the ride. As a reminder, Sinon, Levent, and Felix formed the inner circle of their criminal suburban empire, so to speak. But apparently, Levent and Sinon were in some serious trouble with each other. So the three of them happened to be walking along the same old random unlit trail for no conceivable reason in the middle of the night in the maddening cold, and Levant and Sinon were heavily arguing, with Felix trailing behind like a child of divorce, keeping his head down. This went on for a while, until their dispute spun out of control. Now Sinon would pull a gun on Levant, shooting him dead on the spot, to the complete horror of Felix, who of course had nothing to do with this whatsoever. Remarkably convenient. This is a far more believable, I still don't believe it, but it's a far more believable story than there was a police car, and these guys said there's a mobster. It's like, no, there's not. <laughs> No. But this was only half the story. Sinon then explained to Felix that he had been planning this murder all along, which is why he had steered them to this remote region in the first place. He instructed Felix not to worry and to dish out some story about Czechs or Romanians or whatever in order to distract the police from both of them. Felix, who of course had been enormously intimidated, followed this order. Now, you'll probably assume, based on my rather sarcastic choice of words, that this is thoroughly fabricated nonsense as well, but maybe my tone has been a little misleading, as this account had a lot going for it. This is, again, far more reasonable, but still not I, I just think I just think our main gangster, our main bad guy is Felix. So you remember what Simon was doing for a living by then? Well he was a, he was selling guns or something off the internet, wasn't he? Correct, he dealt in firearms on the dark web and, in fact, hid a large number of guns in a nearby forest which the police later seized. It's like, where's your warehousing? Oh, we just keep the guns in the forest, don't we? 
He would have had easy access to a pistol, which are practically impossible to obtain for regular people in Germany. Yes, yeah, the same way in the UK. Getting a handgun is just like that just doesn't happen. They Even the police don't have handguns. There's long guns, like people have shotguns and rifles and stuff, but like handguns? Just no, it's not happening. When investigators took an even closer look at Simon, they also found clothes full of gunshot residue, of which Felix's clothes and hands had been completely void. You weren't expecting this turn of events, were you? No, I wasn't. I thought he was like, I assumed he had gunshot residue on his hands. Did he wash his hands? Or is there a way to get rid of that gunshot residue? Surely it stays on after washing your hands, otherwise they'd never find it on anyone, because after shooting someone, people would just wash their hands, wouldn't they? An open and shut case, then. Beyond any reasonable doubt, it was Sinan who had shot Levens, presumably over some random quarrel. Still, it somehow feels like we've missed something important here, even if we can't put our finger on it. Totally agree. I don't know what's wrong here, but there's something is wrong. What would that be? Well, elementary, my dear Watson. First, a rhetorical question. Why the hell would anyone spend the night walking pointlessly through the night freezing their butt off? According to Felix's narrative, Sinan himself already gave an answer to that. Sinan had planned to murder Levin from the beginning and therefore led him into the nocturnal outskirts where the darkness would cloak his evil deed from curious eyes. But why bring Felix along then? Felix was not a requirement for this plan in any respect, but just an additional risk. Now, regulars of this channel know the more confidence you have, the more likely your downfall becomes. Yes, it's one of the basics. If you do a crime by yourself, do it by yourself. Do not involve others in your crime. Don't tell people about your crimes. Keep it to yourself. Having a non-participant witness, the crime would have been diametrically opposed to Sinan's interests. Why hide the murder and then have Felix call the police anyway? This way, things don't particularly add up either. Let's briefly summarize our findings. It seems conveniently proven that Sinan had not only been present, but he had also been the person to pull the trigger. Felix deliberately witnessed the murder, only to call the police a few hours later and tell them an absurd fairy tale that immediately pops. And the missing puzzle pieces are what role did Felix actually play in the grand scheme of things, and what was the overarching motive? Obviously, these facts allow for several opinions, but how about this? Levin's death was ultimately all about flair. This is exactly what I said at the beginning. It's all just a big staged thing so that Felix can look like a hero to flair and he gets back in his good graces, which uh, is insane and stupid, and now someone is dead because of this. You see, during the search of Felix's living quarters, the police got their hands on about 30 handwritten pages whose genre hovered somewhere between diary and pamphlet. In it, Felix described detailed fantasies of global success of wealth and fame, and how sooner or later he would also find his way back to Flair. He envisions how people would eventually make a movie about his success, how they would write books about him, and how he would amass even more gigantic riches with the royalties. These were not just harmless musings, but power fantasies, completely out of touch with reality. Unfortunately, the pages were never released to the public, but according to journalists who were allowed to read them, they had an overall sinister tone. I'm not sure if this has been mentioned here before, but don't write down your crimes. Yes, what are you doing? <laughs> the big question it all boils down to is this. Had Levin been murdered because Felix needed a PR stunt for his comeback? I really think so, and I think Felix is going to prison. I'm fully convinced of this assumption, and for precisely one reason, when Felix made his emergency call, he warned that the supposed killers were now after Flair. As we have discovered by now, these killers were only a product of Felix's imagination. Give me any rational reason why Felix would have dragged his former mentor into this matter in this specific way other than gaining his attention. I thought about this for a long time and none ever came to mind. Well, one thing that comes to my mind is he's using 
I don't think this is what happens, but he could be using the situation to his advantage. So he saw this murder happen and he's like, yeah, and now they're coming for Flair. I don't think that's what happens, but I do think that's it could be spun by a defense lawyer, maybe. In my opinion, nothing could justify such a heinous crime, of course, yet, in a way, it was pretty damn clever. It let Flair know that Felix was involved in an actual murder, but at the same time, it warned him of imminent danger resulting from it, so he had delivered three highly manipulative but spot-on messages to his idol. I'm a badass and in no way a fake, I still care for you, and we're still directly associated with each other. I don't want to conceal the fact that this account also had a large loophole. If it was to just impress Flair, what stock did Sinan have? in the matter. Well, good point, and I do believe I can fix this flaw. First of all, Sinan was also an obsessive Fleur fan. Oh, right, was this the guy who was super fans with him at the beginning with Fleur? With with Felix. When Felix sought out Fleur months ago, it had been Sinan's idea, and Sinan had gladly accompanied Felix on his hunt crisscrossing Berlin. Sinan had always enjoyed his perceived closeness to Fleur, even if it was only via Felix as a middleman. But he may have also had monetary expectations. As Felix wrote in his pamphlet, he was counting on a huge income. Perhaps he had pledged a cut of it to Sinan. And last but not least, Sinan was the guy with the guns. Felix, who had always feigned his criminal ties, may simply have not have known where else to get one. So, there was a kind of compulsion for him to get Sinan on board. My interpretation is broadly consistent with that later provided by the prosecution. Of course, this doesn't necessarily mean anything at all, considering that it is the job of the public prosecutor's office to work out such an accusation. And yet, this version makes an awful lot of sense to me. You're obviously free to disagree completely. I do not. <laughs> I think this is the clear what clearly what happens. If you're watching this on YouTube, please leave a comment pointing out just how bloody stupid I am. However, even if this rendition is accurate, it must be said that it did not work as allegedly intended. When Flair was notified by the police that some crazy cutthroats were plotting his murder, it hardly impressed them. This guy had been threatened by essentially everyone at one time or another during his career, most famously of all by the Hells Angels. When police relayed the warning, he was probably like, no Sherlock, and hung up. I always find like things like the Hells Angels. It's like you're openly, it feels like casual criminalist, you're breaking the rules. Because you're openly saying, like, yeah, I'm in a gang. And Hell's Angels, they're regarded as, like, a criminal gang, right? That's the thing. I remember being in a, being in a, oh, God, this was years ago, but I was in just a restaurant in the center of Prague or, like, a bar or something. And there were these dudes, like, wearing Hell's Angels jackets. And I'm like, so blatantly, like, you guys, <laughs> you're like, yeah, I'm in a criminal gang. Is that, right? Hell's, is that what Hell's Angels, am I mistaking this for something else? But I think that's a criminal gang. Which seems insane. It'd be like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a criminal. So what the f*** up to? Why are you doing that? Just conduct your crimes quietly. Don't wear a fucking jacket saying I commit crimes. What are you up to? One should also not forget the death threats are also part of the daily business in the upper echelons of hip-hop. In most cases, these seemingly bitter wars are just for show as they lead to profit increases on both sides. Yeah, this is like the YouTube. <laughs> People talk like big creators talk about each other on YouTube just like gets views on YouTube. And I'm just like, this is stupid. <laughs> Taking them seriously equates to watching wrestling matches unironically for the most part. Of course, there have been cases where terrible consequences ensued. Just think of Tupac or the notorious B.I.G. But that happened in America, where rap culture has always been something entirely different. Nothing of that nature ever happened in Germany. Our hip-hop wars are basically two grown men sitting in their rooms writing poems about each other, which is kind of the cutest thing ever. Oh my god, when you wrap it up like that, it's like, yeah, it's true, isn't it? <laughs>
This is spot on. I'm genuinely curious to read which theories you've derived from this. Unfortunately, an official version was never established. Sinon was found guilty of the murder and sentenced to life in prison, as there was no denying the fact that he'd pulled the trigger. But the court deliberately did not specify his alleged motive, nor did they commit to a particular narrative around it. As contrary to popular belief, none of this is required for conviction. Technically speaking, this remains an open question to this day. Why is Felix not in jail as well? You must have gang laws in Germany, right? Like, how does it work? Let me just see if I can remember exactly how it works in the UK or how it worked when I studied it. Which is, if someone is doing a crime and you or a reasonable person could foresee that they would commit that crime, which would be murder or grievous bodily harm, and they do do that and you're there and involved then you're also guilty of murder. I feel like there might be another test in there of like how involved you are or something like that. But like Felix should also be guilty of murder because there's these laws to stop criminal gangs doing this sort of stuff. In Germany, there are two variants of being acquitted. The first option is called acquittal due to proven innocence. The second is acquittal due to lack of evidence. In practical terms, they both come to the same thing. You escape punishment, but it leaves a different aftertaste. Felix was acquitted for lack of evidence. In a way, this means the court strongly suspected him of being guilty somehow, but could not prove it beyond reasonable doubt. Felix was free to go. Wow. I feel like he should also get some get some time for that old, that old For real. Dismembered appendices... Not enough carnage, dislike. I strongly believe when it comes to true crime stories, more extreme does not necessarily mean more interesting. Yeah, this wasn't extreme. The most violence was someone getting shot in the head, which obviously is extremely violent, but is not by any means the most violent or disgusting or absurd thing we've heard on Casual Criminalist. But this episode was pretty fire, if I'm honest. For today's episode, I focused on two smaller cases in hopes of providing some evidence to support my thesis. Don't get me wrong, though, the extreme cases undoubtedly merit telling, yet I feel they are overrepresented at times. But if you are here to learn about hundreds of people chopped up into a billion pieces, I don't want to leave you empty-handed. So here's a little fun fact. The most prolific serial killer from Germany is a medieval robber named Christman... Good lord. Gneiper Doliger. Maybe who was said to have murdered up to 964 people. I feel like this is not included in modern statistics because it's like, he was in, when was this? The mid medieval? Middle Ages? Something like that? Like, back in the day, basically. Um, where record-keeping was not so tight. He was sentenced to death after his capture and allegedly his execution went on for nine days straight. Wait, how? 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 If you want to learn more about him, I'll be happy to write a corresponding episode. Ah, uh, I don't know, stuff like this far back, there's... There's not enough evidence and stuff, and it always just ends up being someone who wrote a book about someone who wrote a book who wrote someone who wrote like a article, and then it's like it just gets lost in the the weeds, and there's not enough concrete stuff. However, this would be a bit of hit with one of Simon's other channels, Decoding the Unknown, since almost everything about this guy is shrouded in centuries of historic mystery. Exactly, loose threads. In retelling these two cases, I couldn't include all of the finer details and therefore had to leave out some of the side stories. So I've never really ranted about this. For example, what role did Peter's wife play in his tale of suffering? Yeah, I mentioned it. It's like, what's up with the wife? Bro, you're married. <laughs> how exactly did the investigation proceed? What other witnesses came forward? And how did Anna get into this predicament in the first place? You see, Germany is not fooling around when it comes to protecting individuals and their data. Yeah, this is this is also like, this is, you see like American stuff going on you're like whoa everyone's names are just out there and stuff in the uk it's um it's always like mr j or whoever 
and then here in Czech recently there was like some case going on and all like the people like the photographs of them released by the police all their faces are blurred and no one knows who it is until they're proven guilty and it's like and it's this guy and if they're innocent then obviously their name and face are not revealed because you're innocent and you don't want to be like dragged through the press ringer while the United States for example maintains public databases of criminals most central European countries do everything they can to conceal such information Oh, actually, I think in UK, the names of the people, the names of people being prosecuted are public, but the, 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 maybe it's just minors who have Mr. P or like Mr. Whoever. Maybe it's just their identities that are protected. Come to think of it, I think that's it. Apologies. In my opinion, that makes sense. It's also why I chose to give every character a pseudonym. Now that I think about it, I might even be legally required to do so. Okay, <laughs> thank you for keeping me safe, Dennis. However, I kept the actual stage names of the great rappers unchanged since their involvement in the matter isn't a secret to anyone. The purpose of justice is not punishment in the strict sense, but the restoration of social fitness. State-funded stigmatization will not help, but has clearly been shown to only increase recidivism instead. For this reason, many public records are redacted or anonymized, and some information is simply impossible to obtain. Unfortunately, this circumstance often complicates life as a German crime reporter. Even though I usually am able to a narrative from individual pieces of clues, I exercised caution and preferred to remain silent when it came to those less documented side characters. My aspiration was not to fill any relevant gaps by guessing, so I just straight up left them out. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the right way to do things. Well done. Um, yeah, enjoyed this episode. I really like it's a nice, like, non super violent one, which was nice and a cool story. Cool, a cool story, like, interesting story, like, compelling. Uh, thank you, Dennis, for writing it. Thank you for watching or listening, and I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.